Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So here's what we're doing. We are continuing a series that is called Samson. And men, this series is for you. Ladies, we are glad that you're here and you will certainly glean something from the series. But the series is mainly targeted at the men. All the men on the count of three, give me a hoorah. One, two, three. Hoorah. Yeah, there it is. There's all the guys. I love it. That's awesome. I don't know if that means something dirty, so please don't hold me accountable for that. I think, I think it's just, okay, all right, we're good. I'm getting no's. It's not. It's bad. It's not bad. Today we're going to be in Judges 14, and what we're doing is we're following the story of Samson, and uh, we kicked this series off last week with Pastor Scott, our student ministries director, did a fantastic job, and told us a little bit about Samson and laid the foundation for where we're going to go today and the next couple weeks. Uh, But if you don't know or weren't here last week, what it is with Samson is Samson was somebody that was set aside from birth as a Nazarite. Now, what that means is, is not that he was necessarily from Nazarene, but he was a Nazarite. In other words, he took a vow to not drink alcohol, to not cut his hair, and to not touch anything dead, no dead bodies or anything, so that was human, animal, or otherwise. And so he has this Nazarite vow, and God said, if he honors this vow, I will give him supernatural abilities. I will give him supernatural strength. Now, many of you know the story of Samson. You know him to be the strongest man in the Bible, But what many of you don't know is is kind of what Scott talked about last week is that I don't really think Samson was a really big, burly kind of man. Because if he was, no one would be be asking where did he get his strength from, right? I mean, a big dude walking, he has to walk like this, you know, because his legs are big and his arms are big. You're not going to ask him, I wonder why he's so strong, right? You can see his muscles. I think Samson was an average-looking guy, and he was doing these supernatural things. And so everybody's looking at this cat going, Why is this hippie with long hair so strong? You know what I'm saying? And so Samson's this guy, he was called and set apart by God to do a work. And that work was to save the Israelites from the Philistines. That's what he was was there to do. And so he was to, to do that. He had supernatural strength, a divine calling, and great potential. But Samson, and what we're looking at is Samson had a problem. He continued to make self destructive decisions. And when you do that, incredibly strong men become weak. And so last week we looked at a couple things that make strong men weak. The first thing is Samson, he chased after a Philistine woman, right? And the Philistines were the enemies. And he said, Mom, Dad, I want to marry a girl from the enemy's camp. And they said, that's a bad idea. He said, but I want it. And so the attitude of lust (coughs) made Samson feel like, I want it. And so he chased after it. The second thing that got him was entitlement, this idea that I deserve it. When Samson was walking along after he had killed a lion with his hands, sometime later he passes by the carcass and he notices that there is honey inside of the carcass. And so what does he do? He touches the dead body, which is something he's not supposed to do, but he says, I deserve it. And so he scoops out some honey and then he eats. And then the last attitude that would make strong men weak is this thing called pride. Samson said, I can handle it. See, he's not supposed to drink at all, but here he's getting ready to get married, and they're throwing a big festival because he's getting married, and he says, I can handle it. Let's have a kegger. What up? So he starts having a party. He says, I can handle it. And when you give in to these things, even the strongest men become weak. 
Today, our main thought is, is that Samson was emotion-driven, not spirit-led. If you're taking notes, this is where we're going today. Samson was emotion-driven, not spirit-led. Samson's issue is the same as most of us guys. We lead or follow or driven by our emotions and not by the spirit. How many of you know that it's true that we are to be spirit-led? That when we say yes to Jesus, we are filled with his spirit, and at that moment, we are surrendering our lives to him. And in that surrender, our commitment is to follow his lead. So we're supposed to be spirit-led, not emotionally driven. Now, a lot of guys right now, you're pushing back a little bit because you're like, I'm not emotional. My wife is emotional. Women are emotional. We want to put that right on them. We're going to go, no, no, that's, that's not me. We want to push away from that. But, but that's, that's simply not true. We don't like to think of ourselves as emotional. But the reality is, is we are both emotional. And emotions aren't bad. I'm, I oftentimes joke about the magical world of feelings, right, where nothing's logical at all. It does, if you feel that way, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. That's just how it is, right? But if the truth is, is that all of us are emotional. Emotions are given to us by God. It's not a bad thing, but we can't be driven by our emotions. The difference between men and women regarding their emotions is that women want to talk about their emotions, right? They want to call, call Sally up. Hey, I, I really need you to come over and get some tea with me. I'm sitting on my couch, and I just need somebody to talk to. That's not guys. Guys don't want to talk about their emotions. Guys are driven to act, right? Because, I mean, let's be honest. If you ever called me up and said, Aaron, uh, I think I need to get some tea with you and uh, sit on your couch. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. Guys are driven to act. We do stuff in response to our emotions. How many of you men would say that, that too often your emotions have driven you uh, more than you'd like to admit? How many of you would say emotions have driven me more than I'd like to admit? Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Uh, I, this happened a couple years ago to me. I was trying to, well, as I was writing this, I was trying to think of like the worst scenario I think I've ever been in. And this, this was probably it. I was driving with my family down uh, the, the Taylor Road extension there by Walmart. Do you all know this area? Like, that area will make you want to cuss anyways, just driving down the road, right? But I was driving home. I was driving away from the Walmart area, so I was kind of in the safe zone and uh, got away from all the traffic, and I'm headed home, and that road is kind of windy as it heads to the Taylor Road area that is all tore up right now. And, uh, and as I'm coming around the bend, there's apartments on the right-hand side. And there's this, the, the entrance to it is kind of divided by one of, those, one of those, little, uh, those little medians, right? And it's got trees and bushes in it. And so until somebody moves past that median, you can't see that they're there. And they can't see you. That's why you approach slowly. You look left and you look right before you pull out onto the road. Well, I'm coming around the corner at 35 miles an hour. And this guy pulls out in front of me. He's not on a car. He's on a bike. Not a motorcycle. A bike. And he just whips right out in front of me. Now, I used to drive a Kia Sedona minivan. That's right. I was a soccer dad, and I'm not even ashamed of it. And I slammed on my brakes as hard as I could. My wife was in the front seat, which I immediately gave her the check, you know. Oh, you okay? And uh, stopped her and the, checked the kids. You guys okay? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. What just, like, everything is going through my mind so fast because I could have hit this guy. I could have swerved my car. My car spun a little bit. I, I was in a panic. Now, I don't get mad at people who make mistakes against me when I'm on the road. I don't get mad at them. Like, okay, you pull out in front of me, and you go, sorry, sorry. It's totally fine. But that's not what this guy did. Have you ever seen those videos 
on YouTube or maybe on Vine. There's one in particular. There's this woman talking to a cat, and the cat is kind of pawing at a cup. Don't, don't be nervous, Kelly. There's actually coffee in here. I'm not going to push it on the floor. <laughs> it's pawing at the cup, and the owner says, don't you dare. And the cat looks up at her and pushes the cup off onto the floor and shatters it. Has anybody seen this video before? And then what pops up on the screen? The video stops, and two words pop up on the screen. Thug life. And then you hear Snoop. Ya-da-da-da-da. And you're like, <laughs> that's the funniest thing until it happens to you. Because when this dude pulled in front of me, he pulled off right out, right, right in front of me. It just happened so fast. Slammed on my brakes. Whole family is jostled. Everybody's okay. And I look at him, and he's not apologizing. He's thug life in it. And he goes like this on his bike. He's got headphones on, and he does this to me. Oh, snap. I was okay until you just disrespected me. And I went into a rage. This guy pulls and goes, starts heading back towards Walmart. As much as I hate going towards Walmart on that road, I, I pulled forward, turned, whipped it around. Shannon's like, what are you doing, Aaron? Where? What are you doing? My wife, she is losing her mind. The kids are like, My wife is losing her mind. What are you about to do? I said, I'm about to talk to this dude. This is not happening. No, that, that did not just happen. He could have killed my family. He could have wrecked my car. And then he goes like this and doesn't apologize? Uh-uh. I'm taking care of this. So I catch up to the dude. He's rolling in front of Sam's Club. Rolling the window down. Rise, rise, rise. I'm just yelling at him, right? Just having a time. And this guy's just, and he looks over at me. And what does he do? Yeah-da-da-da-da. He's doing this thing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Ooh, I'm mad. I'm madder than a hornet. I pull down Sam's Club, and I'm whipping around, and here's what's getting ready to happen, okay? I've got images in my head of driving just left of center and just wiping this guy out and smearing him against the wall. Come on, don't act like you ain't never been there before. <laughs> and then I thought, no, I don't want to kill him. I don't want to kill him. I'm just going to get out, and I'm going to beat him up. And then I thought... My wife is just losing her mind. I cannot believe you're doing this. The kids are watching you, and I'm just mad coming back at him. And, and, and I decided there was no reason for me to get my butt kicked that day. So I stayed in the car, and we continued to drive on by. But, oh, my gosh, it just made me so angry, and my emotions just drove me to do things that I wouldn't normally do. And we've all been there, I think. We've all been there. As men, we often act and do the ungodly thing rather than being led by the Spirit, Right? We want to do what's right, but what happens? Our emotions take over. The Apostle Paul was the same, in the same boat as all of us, so know that he was the greatest apostle that we know of. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. And here's a guy who struggled with the same thing. In Romans 7, he said, the thing that I want to do, I don't wind up doing it. The thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing that I do. He struggled with it as well. There's something at war within him. And you guys all know what I'm talking about. You guys come home from work and you know that you need to engage with your kids and you even want to, but you're tired or maybe your boss upset you. And so what do you do? You sit down in front of the TV and you veg out. Now, there's nothing wrong with that on occasion, but you, when you make that your pattern, your kids' lives are just slipping away in front of you. Others of you, you'd say, like, man, I, 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 I don't want to say something stupid, but I just can't help it. And you say something stupid in the middle of a conversation or maybe an argument. And then because you've taken it too far, you just don't apologize. You just walk away from it. And you just kind of leave that mess hanging out there. Others of you don't want to blow up and, and it happens. 
We do these things because we are emotion-driven and not spirit-led. But Paul says in Galatians, he's writing to the church in Galatians, he says in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. There's a war going on inside of our hearts, guys. And so Samson's issue is like all of us, especially us men. He's emotion-driven, but not spirit-led. And so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to walk through his story. I'm going to catch you up a little bit on where we're at. Samson has decided to marry this Philistine girl, and they're having the kegger party, and Samson decides that he's going to do something ridiculous. Before the wedding, he's hanging out with 30, count them, 30 Philistine guys. By the way, the enemies of God. Hanging out with those dudes. Why? Because he's marrying a Philistine woman. He's hanging out with these guys, and he decides to do what all guys decide to do. We're going to have a competition, because we've got to see who's better, right? That's what all of us do. We hang out, we all, all of a sudden have a competition. And every, every uh, competition goes something like this. I can do that. Hold my drink. You know what I'm saying? And so he says, all right, let's have a competition, but let's have a battle of wits. And let's make it interesting. I'll make a wager with you. So Samson makes a bet with these 30 guys, and he says, I'll bet you 30 pieces of linen and 30... 30 outfits, so one for each of you. If you don't get this right, you owe me 30. And I, if you get it right, then I owe you 30. They said, you're on. So here's what Samson does. He says, you got seven days to figure this out. Now talk about a party. Seven days of party. Sometimes two hours of a party is too much for me. Anybody else there with me? Introverts, unite or hide, whatever it is. <laughs> but seven days of parties. The end of this thing, you can, you can tell me, and, uh, and, and whoever, uh, whoever gets it, if you get it, you get the, the clothes. If you don't, then I get the clothes. And so he bases the riddle off of what we talked about last week and a little bit this morning, the lion that he killed. He bases the, the riddle off of that, and here's what he says. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. So out of the eater, the eater is the lion. Something to eat was the honey that he took out of the lion. He says, out of the strong, again, the lion, something sweet. That's the honey. For three days, they could not give the answer. So, here's what's happening. He's challenged these guys. Three days, they don't know the answer, and they finally come to Samson's wife-to-be or his bride-to-be. They said, listen, we're not going down to this Israelite. You need to find out the answer to the riddle for us. We got four more days. And they said, oh, and by the way, if you don't, we're going to burn you and your dad alive. See you later. So she goes to her, to her husband-to-be, Samson, says, Samson, what's the answer to the riddle? And he won't tell her. And she's like, you don't love me. She does what every wife does when she's in a pinch. She cries. How many of you men can resist a crying woman? Don't answer that. That was a trick question. Don't, don't. It's difficult, isn't it? A crying woman. Oh, I, I, I can't. Just, okay, here's the answer. So he tells her the answer. He gives in and tells her. And in verse 18, it says, Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? Ooh. Wah, wah. They got the answer right, but Samson is madder than a hornet. He, here's what happens. Samson, now angry, said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer... 
If I was standing next to him, I'd have done this. I don't know that guy. <laughs> he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Now, guys, look, this is so typical of us. You get mad, you say something stupid. There's two things you can learn from Samson. First of all, don't let anybody plow with your wife. And don't ever call her a heifer. And all the ladies said, amen. 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 It's so Samson. He's arrogant. He's a jerk. He's a hothead. And he just says something stupid. He's a bad decision maker. And what we see is that he reacts emotionally. He reacts in a fleshly way like Paul is describing it. He follows after what his flesh wants to do and not the spirit wants to do or would be leading him to do. And today what I want to focus on is the two emotions that take strong men down. These are the two things that in that moment that Samson was dealing with. The very first thing he was dealing with was that Samson burned with anger. That's the first emotion he was dealing with. In verse 14, or excuse me, 19, it says, And Samson went down to Ashkelon. This is after they revealed that they knew the answer to the riddle. Samson's now got to pay the 30 linens and the 30 changes of clothes. So he goes down to Ashkelon. He struck down 30 of their men, 30 innocent guys. Stripped them of their belongings and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. Now, I'm sorry, I don't think that would be a good idea to give the strongest man in the land's wife to be to the best man at the wedding. I just don't think that that's a move that I would make. But here, Samson has left the wedding party and the ceremony. He's left his bride at the altar to go get the clothes, to go make payment. He's left her standing there, and it would not have been uncommon after they threw this big festival after they did all that they did, for the father to look around and say, where's the, where's the groom? Well, my daughter's of marrying age. I'm going to give her to the next uh, good-looking guy who steps up, and the best man steps in. And that's exactly what happens in this situation. The father gives his daughter to the best man. And Samson, who's already burning with anger, comes back and is now in a rage. So what does Samson do? He responds to the situation that he, by the way, created and goes out and catches 300 foxes. Now, you want to talk about a patient, vengeful kind of guy. I have seen one fox in my life, and that was only to ask him what he says. And I have never seen a fox again. One. But this dude caught 300 foxes, and he tied their tails together. So he put them in pairs of 150. Then he puts a torch in between each one of their tails, lights them on fire, and sets them loose in the Philistines' fields to burn up all of their crops. 150 cherry bombs set loose in their fields, and they burn their harvest to the ground. So the Philistines, of course, respond in kind by burning his bride-to-be and their father in their home and kills them. Samson's losing everything. 
his emotions are costing him everything, just as it does that so many of us men. But guys, anger is like our default emotion, isn't it? Like, think about this. If a woman and a man walk through the same room, and the woman kicks the chair accidentally, what is she going to do? She's going to sit down in that chair and nurse her foot. A dude walks through the same room and kicks that chair. What does the guy do? You murder, bang, and they kick the chair. They cuss at the chair, and they kick the chair. Again, anger is our default emotion. What does that mean? It's like when, I'm, when I feel embarrassed, not only do I feel embarrassed, but I'm angry about being embarrassed. When I get disrespected, I'm not just disrespected and feel disrespected. I'm angry about being disrespected. That's our go-to emotion, guys. That's what happens to us. And many, all of us are, are the, same, the same way. And what happens whenever we're angry about something? Well, we explode on Facebook and say something stupid or we say something stupid to our spouse or yell at our kids. We just, we just ah, we just turn it into a bigger mess because we're angry. And if you were to look at Samson's situation, you have to ask the question, what is there really to be angry about, Samson? Didn't you create this whole situation? Because let me get the story straight. You chose a Philistine woman who you were not supposed to have. You chose to have her. You picked her, decided to marry her, and then you go and have a kegger party that you're not supposed to be at, and then you challenge the Philistines with the riddle. You're the only one who knew the answer to said riddle, and then you're the only one who gave it up to your bride. You're the only one who made the decision to walk away from the wedding and leave your bride at the altar. You're the one who decided to burn down the crops. And now what happens to Samson? The bride that he wanted is dead. His parents, you have to imagine that the relationship is a bit strained because they know that he's not supposed to be doing any of this. He has nobody. He has absolutely nobody. And so Samson, he's angry at himself and he's taking it out on everyone else. I think this is us too many times, guys. We're angry at the world. And we should just be mad at ourselves. We're angry at our bosses all the time, but really we should just be upset at ourselves that maybe we didn't get the education that we should have gotten so that we didn't have to take that job. You know what I'm saying? But we're gonna take it out on our bosses, we're gonna take it out on our coworkers. We're upset at our wives because they're not meeting our physical needs, and yet we haven't invested anything into them emotionally in months, maybe years. And we need to be held accountable for that. We don't own what is our part. We're mad at God, but we're mad at God at our current circumstances, but we're the ones that made all the unwise choices. We're the ones that chose to live outside of his blessing. We're the ones that created the mess, and we're mad at God because now we're in this mess? Hello? We have to own it. We have to own our part and how we got in the mess in the first place. Because we'll never receive healing, we'll never get better until we own our part in it. So we say, this is the mess that I made, and this is how I contributed to it. I, I did that. That, that, that. That's me. Our anger gets us into trouble because we are emotion-driven, not spirit-led. My hope is today, men, that some of you, that some of you would hear this and it would get into your hearts and that you would repent. What does repent mean? Turn away from your ways? Start doing it God's way? 
that you decide today that I'm going to be a man of integrity. I'm going to be a man of character. I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to be all those things. I'm going to be spirit-led instead of emotion-driven. That's my, that's my hope. That's my hope. You need to seek forgiveness. Apologize where you need to apologize. Maybe it's to your wife. Maybe it's to your kids, your coworkers, to your boss. Maybe somebody here in this church, in this auditorium right now. You got a conversation you need to have after service. Do it. Make a phone call. Go visit them, whoever it is. Make it right. And ladies, let me just say this. If your man comes to you, your man comes to you with his hat in his hand, don't kick him while he's down. You love him. You support him. You thank him for his apology. You thank him for owning his part in the mess. Don't you dare act ungodly towards him because here's the thing. If he doesn't feel like he can win, if he doesn't feel like he can get past his mess, he'll take his ball and go home. The second thing that Samson dealt with, the second emotion, was pride. Samson was filled with pride. Verse 15, it says, and this is his response to his bride-to-be and his father-in-law burning up. He finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it, and he struck down a 1,000 men. Now, can I pause for just a second to say how impressive that is? <laughs> like, Seriously. I couldn't take down 10 men. I, I couldn't do 10. This guy's got 1,000. I think I could probably handle four, maybe five, eight-year-olds. <laughs> 1,000 men. This guy wipes them out. And let me tell you something. Nothing's impossible with God. God put Samson there to eliminate the Philistines in the first place. And if he wanted that to happen, he gave him the power. He gave him the strength to do that in the first place. And that's amazing. But more than anything, more than impressive, do you know what this was? It was just cocky. Samson's feeling very insecure at this moment because he's got nothing. It doesn't say that the Spirit led him to wipe out a thousand of those guys. It doesn't say that God told him to go do that. He just goes and he kills him. This is him and his using his strength, using the gift that God give, has given him to create one more epic story about himself so that everybody has to look at him. All of our pride springs from our insecurities. All of it does. That need to have you look at me to point to me and say how great I am. Look at what I've done. And how do I know it's pride? Well, you can tell when you're talking to somebody. If you're having a conversation with somebody and they use a lot of I statements, I did this, I went there, I made this, it's likely that they've got some insecurities in their heart and that they're dealing with that emotion of pride. Because look what, what it says in verse 16. It says, then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. Now, let me, be on, let me, let me just be, be candid with you. The translators are being very nice here because there's another word for donkey, and that's the word that was intended to be in this place. With a donkey's jawbone, I made a of them. He said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. So many of us struggle with this, guys. We want people to look at how great we are, look at our accomplishments, look at how much money we have, look at the nice car we have, the nice house we have, the beautiful wife that we have, the kids that are all in sports and succeeding and getting great grades. And look at me, look at what I've done, look at the world I've created. 
We want people to pat us on the back and tell us how great we are. But there's a problem that pride creates. When we succumb to this emotion, guys, the problem pride creates is that we have this unwillingness to appear weak in any way, shape, or form. And when we have trouble in our marriages, our relationships, that inner turmoil that we're facing, we don't reach out to the people that we need to. We don't say anything at all because if I said, Aaron, if I told you what I was going through, or if I told you what I would, had done, or if I told you what I'm struggling with, if I told you that dark secret that nobody knows about me, well, you might think differently of me. You might treat me different. I might lose my position at the church, or I might lose my job. I might lose my family. No, 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 no. I can't, I can't talk about that. I can't appear weak. And that's what pride causes in us. So many issues in our lives remain undealt with, guys. Because we just won't confess that we have a need for help. We won't tell anybody about it. Because we don't want to appear weak. We are prideful. Why is this such a problem for, for so many men? Well, truth is, is I think, I think it's because we want to be the main characters in our stories. We want to be the main character in the story when God has always been the main character in the story. When we open our Bibles, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Aaron. No. In the beginning, God. This story started with him. It will end with him. The middle is filled with him. This story is about him, not us. It is not about our strengths. It is about what he has done. And when we begin to live our lives in an orientation that everything is about him, that this story is about him, that it doesn't have to be about us, will those insecurities begin to subside. And we can humble ourselves and say, no, 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 this is really about him. This is really about him. And then we have the ability to ask for the help that we need. We have that ability. We find security in him and who he is and what he said about us and not what other people think about us. But if we continue to be driven by our emotions like Samson, that divine potential that we have will begin to fade because we'll keep on making self-destructing decisions. What we have to do, guys, is put our emotions on the altar, so to speak, and sacrifice them before God. Oh, it's okay to feel them. I'm not trying to tell you not to have emotions. The Bible says be angry and what? Sin not. See, there's a way we're supposed to go with our emotions. We're to lay them before God and say, this is how I'm feeling. What do you need me to do? Let me follow after you instead of after those emotions. It's a choice, guys. It's a choice we make to yield, to follow God. And when we do, he becomes the main character. I believe today that we can be who God created us to be. That we can tap into our divine potential. I believe there is so much for us to yet become. To become men of integrity, men of character, men of spiritual strength, men who loved our wives the way that Christ loved the church. Oh, that's, that's powerful there. See, when you think about the way Jesus loved the church... We're supposed to love our wives the same way. That means laying down our lives. No, 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 it doesn't mean dying. Yes, it, it may require that. 
men usually die before their spouses anyway. I don't know what that deal is, but. But we're to lay down our lives like Jesus did. He laid down glory. He laid down heaven, his rights. And he became a servant to the church. Man, that takes humility. That takes more than we have to offer on our own. We need God to transform us, to be able to love our lives, our wives that way. I believe the world is yet to see what God can do with one man whose heart is fully surrendered to him. I believe today that there are some men in this room that could be that person. So what happens to Samson? Samson realizes that he's in need. Samson winds up in a desolate place. He's public enemy number one. He just killed a thousand guys. And he's bragged. He's pushed everybody away from him that he could. And he realizes that he's in need. And let me tell you today, if you're taking notes, if you let your needs drive you to God, God will meet your deepest needs. To me, that's powerful. Your deepest need, God will meet. If you'll just confess it to him. So Samson cries out. He humbles himself. He refocuses. He says, you know what? You're the main character in this story. You're you're the one who did all this. And he acknowledges God and puts him in his rightful place. And he says in verse 18, he says, because he was thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. Catch this. Catch this. When Samson drank, not of something that he got on his own, when he drank from the water that God provided, it says that his strength returned, and he revived. Man, when you confess your need to God, your strength will return. He'll meet that need. But not your strength. Because let's be honest, everything you've done in your strength and your ability has gotten you thus far, and you're a hot mess, just like me. You need his strength. You need his strength to be all that he's called us to be. And with his strength, you can make a difference. You can be a leader. You can live righteously. You can be a man of integrity today. When you let your need drive you to God, he will meet that need. We cannot continue to let our lives be emotion-driven. We have to learn to be led by the Spirit, guys. And if we do, we can do things with our lives that will bring him glory and draw many people to him. We call that being the shiny around here, where your life looks so much different than anybody else's around that people go, what is different about you? I gotta have what you have. This is where we give glory and honor to God. The world is yet to see what God can do with one man who has fully surrendered to him. You can be that man. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm speaking to Christ followers right now, men and women alike, you desire to be led by the Spirit and no longer driven by emotion. Maybe you say, Aaron, I've lived too much of my life being driven by emotion. I'm ready to be led more by the Spirit than I've ever been led before. 
that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, pray for me. That's me. I want that. Yeah, 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 yeah. All over this room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Others of you say, you know, I, I, I would tell you, you need to, it's okay to feel those emotions. In fact, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would let us feel those emotions. But Lord, let us crash, let those things crash over us like a wave and just let them pass by us. Let us surrender them before you. Lord, today may we hear your Spirit's voice and not our own. And Father, I pray that as we do, we may begin to live out our divine potential. Lord, that as we confess our need for you today, God, that you would strengthen us with your strength. Lord, for the men, I pray that we would rid ourselves of our pride, that we would humble ourselves, that we could confess our need for you and be strengthened again. Let us be strengthened with your strength today, God. Brothers of you here, as we continue to pray, you know, you're here and you say, Aaron, you know, I, I have all kinds of needs in my life, and if I'm being honest, I'm going to say I'm thankful that you have needs in your life. Why? Because our needs drive us to God. Our needs drive us to God, and I believe today that as you confess those needs to him, that he will answer and meet your greatest need. Others of you, as I say that, you've got to push back immediately. You're like, no, 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 Aaron, you don't know me. I've done too much. I've lived a life that's been selfish. I've lived a life of sin, making decisions just for me, leaving a trail of relationships in my wake. God would never love me. He would never accept me. I've been too bad. Let me tell you something. That's so not true. God's love for you today is unconditional. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Today, if you'll confess your need for him, he will fill your life. And the greatest need you have, which is him, will be met. He'll forgive you. He'll make you brand new. And he does this through his son, Jesus. See, he sent Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins, which are so offensive to him. He sent Jesus to pay a price that he did not owe. Jesus, the Son of God, enthroned in glory, says, I'll do it. I'll pay the price. I'll go to earth. I'll live a perfect and sinless life. I'll be that sacrifice for all of mankind. Jesus laid down his life, was crucified rose from the dead three days later, and he did all of this in a demonstration and an act, a beautiful act of love for you and me. He's calling for you today to come be a part of what he has planned for you. Trust me, it is better than anything you and I can imagine. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with God through his son Jesus, to be forgiven, to be made brand new. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you want to be counted on that prayer, would you just shoot your hand up and do it now and say, Aaron, that's me. Count me in. Pray for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You put your hands down. I'm going to pray this prayer. I just want you to, you can repeat it out loud. You can just say it in your heart, however you need, you want to do it, but you just need to mean it. If you're watching live by Periscope, you can pray with us too. God will meet you right where you're at. He's big enough to do it. You don't have to be here with us if you're listening by podcast. I say the same to you. Pray this prayer with us now. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came to this earth 
lived a perfect, sinless life. You died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And you did all of that so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made brand new. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Take control. Show me how to live for you. Give me your Holy Spirit. And I'll spend every day living for you as you show me how. I need you, Jesus. Amen.